0: Welcome to the sixth episode of the Neural Compass Podcast. Since the last episode, I have begun my sophomore year in university online and I've become very busy, but I'm gonna try to continue to make these, albeit a little less frequently. If you happen to be new to the Neural Compass Podcast, my name is Steven Sinekrop. I'm a neuroscience student at the University of Chicago, and my favorite disclaimer is that everything I say here is for educational and entertainment purposes, not for medical advice. Today's episode is a little different, and I may have said that before, but (laughs) today is a wonderful example of how the nervous system extends its tendrils throughout the body. The topic is the neuroscience of the microbiome, which upon hearing, you may be at a total loss wondering how does the microbiome relate to neuroscience or possibly what in the world is a microbiome? Luckily, I can at least answer these two questions and then hopefully I'll help you come up with some few more. To begin, the human microbiome can be loosely defined as the populations of microorganisms that inhabit our bodies. These microorganisms are usually single-celled microbes, and the largest populations and types are in the gut. If this is news to you, it might be a little disconcerting. The idea that each of us has populations of living organisms existing within us. I like to imagine it on the scale of humans to the earth. These little creatures are invisible to the naked eye and oftentimes beneficial to our health. These populations of bacteria are becoming focal points in medicine, as a wealthy body of research is starting to spring up around them. This brings us to the second prong of the question. How does the microbiome relate to neuroscience? Fascinatingly, these bacterial populations are wonderful communicators in the human body. The way they often communicate is through releasing specific molecules or compounds that can then interact with other bodily tissues they interact with the brain specifically in two ways directly through stimulating nerve fibers that connect all the way to the brain or spinal cord and more indirectly through catalyzing an immune response which then interacts with afferent nerve fibers afferent simply meaning moving inward to the central nervous system Now I want to break it down a bit further, because it can be confusing or a bit dismissive to leave it as simply stimulating nerve fibers. (laughs) Basically these bacterial microbes can release products or molecules, which in turn activate release of hormones from specialized cells known as enteroendocrine cells, which aren't super important to know about for the purposes here, but the name can be broken down to relating to both the enteric nervous system, which is of the gut, and the endocrine system, which is hormonal signaling. These hormones are basically just signaling molecules that are able to pass through membranes and bind to receptors that are inside of cells in order to stimulate electrical conductance. I want to briefly take a step back though from the mechanisms and discuss a bit more of the big picture. Now you understand a little bit as to how bacteria in the gut could communicate with the brain, but what's the point? What kinds of things are being communicated? This question is much more difficult to answer, but the difficult questions always yield the most wonder. A 2018 publication, The International Journal of Neuropharmacology, by Thomas Bastiansen, states that the microbiome has been implicated in mood and anxiety disorders, developmental disorders like autism and schizophrenia, and even neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. That same paper also suggests that most psychotropic drugs, meaning any drugs that we employ for mental or cognitive purposes, likely have unexplored effects and interactions with the microbiome. Unfortunately, I can't explain exactly what regions are being targeted for what effects because these are all ongoing areas of fascinating research. And in a talk given by Christopher Lowry from University of Colorado Boulder, he shares results of actinobacteria having efficacy in reducing stress in mice. He also shared some data indicating that the way that diverse microbiome, and specifically probiotic bacteria, can reduce anxiety is through an increase in proactive coping mechanisms. This research was conducted in a mouse model, and exactly what proactive coping mechanisms are is motivation to act. These mice were tested in a water scenario and the ones with the probiotic treatment were more likely to fight drowning and keep swimming more intensely and longer. This will to go on, if you will. Interestingly, almost all the research that has been conducted and published so far is either in animal models or in healthy populations. Meaning the next natural step that will begin to unearth some of these wonderful mechanisms is to move to more affected populations such as those, in this case, with anxiety or depression. One of the most important nerves innervated by the gut microbiome is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve in the human body, and the word vagus is Latin for fugitive or wanderer, which is exactly what this nerve does, roving all the way from the brain to the abdomen. For our purposes, this nerve can be thought as simply the relaxation pathway. Stimulation of this pathway can lead to positive changes in mood and symptoms of anxiety. Fittingly, the vagus nerve is actually inhibited by our body's stress response. Meaning it now makes logical sense to come to the conclusion that the population of our gut microbiome can combat stress. And stress leads to multitudes of issues, both mental and physical, when prolonged. So now you have a grasp on how bacterial populations in the gut can communicate with the brain, how these interactions can affect behavior and cognition, and maybe, just maybe, are a little excited with all the other conditions mentioned and the lasting implications. So the next logical step is to wonder what you can do, how you can jump in early. (laughs) And hopefully now you've come to terms with all the little creatures inside of you. And maybe even started to appreciate them when it comes to populations of the microbiome you will hear the cliche you are what you eat over and over and over and maybe over again (laughs) so i'll just say it once these bacterial populations result mostly from our diets specifically mentions that the variety of vegetables consumed seems to have a high correlation with the diversity of someone's microbiome. On the point of diversity, it's important to note, not all gut bacteria are good. They can be both pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory, based on the phylum of the bacteria and the specific anatomy of the organism. But unfortunately, we don't really have a clear enough understanding of the functions of individual bacteria To just advise you to get this, this, and this one, for instance. The best directive currently is to seek diversity in your microbiome. Just like in your university or your political system. When you see narrower populations of the microbiome, this is when opportunity for inflammatory bad bacteria comes into play. Okay, if you weren't already, here's the only part of this podcast you're allowed to take notes. The best way to seek diversity in your microbiome, according to the Canadian Digestive Health Organization, is to eat a variety of leafy green vegetables. And I hope it's clear that in order to get these bacteria, you still want to wash your produce effectively. These bacterias are within the cells of these produce and you're gonna get them in, don't worry. Uh, the next recommendation is to cut out simple sugars, such as those in processed foods, Um, Because these simple sugars actually break down before they can feed the microbes. Um, And the last recommendation is to eat lots of probiotics, like in most yogurts or fermented food and drink. Um, And try to avoid antibiotics whenever possible, because the nature of these is to kill bacterial populations. And it's not very specific. But of course, follow your doctor's recommendations. An obnoxious bacterial infection is not going to kill up your anxiety. If diet isn't really your thing, in some cases, fecal transplants have become clinically viable. If you think you know what that means, you probably do. (laughs) It involves inserting the feces of a healthy donor into your gut in order to jumpstart your microbiome after a particularly nasty infection or if you suffer from a pre-existing condition which would weaken your microbiome. The feces is filtered and strained and then either placed in a capsule and ingested or inserted using a colonoscope truly the only thing gross about it is the idea now let's get a little evolutionary to try and understand why we even have these symbiotic microbes crucial to our health in the last 50 years or so society has taken major steps and sanitation and proper cooking of our food but before this since humanity's conception the the average the human diet consisted of tons of bacteria and parasites from uncooked and undercooked meats and unwashed vegetables and fruit that actually the body may be optimized to operate under such environments this is also an area of research but it's interesting to consider in our constant rush to global progress whether we're really better off afterward. Anyway, isn't it mind boggling that these two bodily systems, the brain and the digestive, the brain and the gut, spatially very far apart and functionally very different can be linked so directly? These kinds of interactions exist throughout the entire body, interfacing with the central nervous system and actually in between many other bodily systems as well. The nervous and circulatory system are in constant communication, as seen in nerve damage from type 1 diabetes. Or the innate immune system, attacking peripheral nerves in especially widespread infections, as can be seen in more severe cases of COVID-19. And with that, I'd like to end as I always do with a relevant poem by M.S. Merwin, entitled Rainlight. All day, the stars watch from long ago. My mother said I am going now. When you are alone, you will be all right. Whether or not you know, you will know. Look at the old house in the dawn rain. All the flowers are forms of water. The sun reminds them through a white cloud, touches the patchwork spread on the hill, the washed colors of the afterlife. That lived here long before you were born. See how they wake without a question even though the whole world was burning. I thought this poem beautifully describes the interconnection of our world, both spatially and temporally, like the microbiome in the brain, how there are cycles in everything, a destruction and burning. And then soon after the rain will come. The opening and closing lines of this poem are wonderful framing tools for a lasting motif. All the stars watch, from long ago, even though the whole world is burning. The poem itself imbues this feeling of perspective, whether that's moving from the microcosm of the microbiome to the macrocosm of humanity, or stepping away from the divisive and violent political divide. As Merwin says, all the flowers are forms of water. And with that, we come to the conclusion of the sixth episode of the Neural Compass Podcast. I'm working to figure out how I can upload these a little more frequently with school going on, possibly introducing an interview series. So if you're interested or have ideas, let me know. As always, follow me on Instagram at Neural Compass Podcast and on Twitter at Neural underscore Compass. Have a wonderful day.